0: And Lord knows we need unity today, don't we? I just have a few announcements. I said before you uh, before you guys got here, uh, we're gonna start a prayer meeting at nine o'clock. Pray for the service on Sunday mornings. If you care to join us, we'll be here at nine, praying for the service, praying for our church, praying for our president. praying for everything, anything in your life, you need prayer for, you come. I was sharing earlier about Charles Spurgeon, how he he was praised for his preaching. Every time he gave a sermon that many people came to Christ and they were telling Spurgeon how great he was and blah, blah, this, man, you're the great speaker and all of this. So Spurgeon took His congregation down into the basement where people were praying. He says, not me. He says them. That's the power. That is the power. So don't you think prayer is a waste of time because it's not. We are in Luke 19 this morning. And we're going to be talking about the triumphal. Entry, for a lot of people, it wasn't. Riding in on a donkey, and what kind of Matthew's gospels, they said, "Who is this? Luke 19:28. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage, house of figs, Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite of you, where as you enter, you will find a coat tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring him here. And if anyone asks you why are you loosening the coat? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the coat, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosening the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of him. They, then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the coat and they said, Jesus, on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that he had seen, that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees calling him from the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Rebuke them. But he said, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, as he drew near he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. And level you and your children within to the ground and they will not leave in you, one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Father, we ask you would open our ears to your word. We know, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is our teacher. And we ask, God, that you would just show us the things of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We uh, celebrating the Passover next week. This, this Sunday we're going to be talking about the triumphal entry. The two million people coming to Jerusalem to worship. Every Jew was there. This was the only time in his ministry that Jesus actually planned and promoted a public demonstration. Je- Jesus never really wanted to draw attention to himself. Many times he would say, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. Or he would say, my time is not yet. My time is not yet. See, Jesus is always on a perfect time schedule, not on yours and not on mine. He came with a perfect time schedule and he will come back on his perfect time schedule. And we can't rush that. All the times Jesus wanted to caution people not to tell anybody. But this time, why did Jesus plan this demonstration when he knew all these people would be there? But as as your Bible probably will tell you, in Zechariah 9, 9, he was obeying the word of God and he was fulfilling scripture. He was fulfilling prophecy from the time that Jesus was born to the time that he died until the time he comes back. He will always be fulfilling prophecy. He had a reason for doing things. Zechariah 9, 9, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king coming to you. He is just in having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat, a fowl of a donkey. This prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus when he rode in, in Jerusalem called Palm Sunday, and it's recorded in all four Gospels. He did it to fulfill Scripture. Now, the trial of an entry, Jesus riding into Jerusalem, was predicted more than 500 years before it happened. But Jesus was righteous in all that he did, and his purpose and coming was to bring salvation. To those who would trust him. That salvation is still available to anyone who will trust him. And invite him into their life. Jesus rode on a donkey, on a donkey and came in humility. He came in peace. Unlike Alexander the Great, the king, he came, Jesus came riding on a donkey, but. Alexander the Great came and riding on a big stallion, but Jesus came and riding on a donkey. And a lot of people, most people in Jerusalem did not, did not welcome him. John eleven fifty seven. 57, Jesus had a price on his head. We see again the courage of Jesus because he didn't ride, he didn't hide, Jesus did not hide from the authorities. He made it clear that there were a price on his head and the authorities was looking for him. And they had if they had found him, they would have killed him. But what did Jesus do? He picked the busiest time of the year. And he arrived in Jerusalem and brought open daylight. I'm thinking, good gracious. I'm not sure I would have done that. But Jesus, he's in control of this thing. The trial and entry was the last week of his earthly ministry before going to the cross. Now what would you do? Now what would you do? If you knew you only had a week to live, what would you do? What did Jesus do? went right into Jerusalem and headed straight to that cross. Jesus had a reason for doing things, and he still does. He knew that when he walked into Jerusalem, He would be crucified. He knew that. And chose the busiest time of the year. Two million people there. And brought them daylight. Here comes Jesus. Why did he do it? He did it for you. And he did it for me. For without the shedding of blood. There wouldn't have been no forgiveness of sin. He did it for us. Well. Luke 19, 28, the triumphal entry. Look at the boldness. When he said this, he went ahead up to Jerusalem. I want you to see that Jesus is in complete control here. He is fulfilling God's plan and he's fulfilling God's purpose. Jesus was, was going forward. He said he went ahead. He went forward and willing to suffer and die for us. Perhaps it means that he walked ahead of his disciples went up to Jerusalem is approximately 3,500 feet in sea level in elevation from Jericho. It was a steep ascent, about 17 miles. But Jesus goes on boldly, even though death was awaiting him. But Christ goes on boldly, even he knew what was going to happen. Do you know Christ knows what's going to happen before it happens? When Adam sinned, he didn't say, oh, boy, I didn't know that. Just surprised me. Nothing surprises him. Verse 29, when it came to pass, when it came to pass, when he drew near the Bethphage in Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, then he sent two of his disciples, believed to be Peter and John. Bethany was, Bethany Jesus often stayed there during his visit to Jerusalem. On the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, the home of Lazarus in the town of Mary in John 11, 1. He said in verse 30, go into the village opposite of you. Whereas you enter, you will find a coat on which no one has ever sat. Loose him and bring it here. This was all prearranged. Go in there and you're going to find a coat. Since he all, he's all-knowing, he knew the coat would be there. He probably told the coat to stay there until I call you. And that coat obeyed. That coat, man, is pretty smart. That coat obeyed. Now, some of us don't, but the coat did. Now, are you doing what God is telling you to do? Don't worry about the other person. Don't worry about nobody else. What are you doing what God's telling you to do? He said, you go in there, you're going to find a code." He said, no one ever said. God uses people still to carry out his work here on earth. We are his hands. We are his feet. And you are the only Jesus that some will ever see on that job. So don't be praying that God take you off that job because you might be there for somebody else. To win them to Christ. Everything that we have should be entrusted to Christ, your gifts, your talents, your finances for the glory of God. And I tell you this, you won't be sorry. God called these two guys Said, go. Now you're going to find a goal because you know what? God uses people to carry out his work. If the gospel is going to be preached, you got to preach it. So those who were sent, verse 32, went their way and found it just as he had said to them. And that is always the case. When Jesus said something, when he says something, you're going to find it just as he has said. But as they were loosening the coat, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosening the coat? Why are you doing that? It believed to be one of Jesus' disciples that owned the coat. Why are you doing that? The owner of the donkey and the coat were disciples of the Lord, ready for them. The fact that the coat had never been written is still submitted to Christ as if, if that coat knew his creator. Verse 35 says, Now when they had brought him to Jesus, the coach of them, they threw their clothes on the coat and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road and rolling out the red, it's just, you know, they're going to roll out the red carpet. They throwing their clothes on the road and, and then as He was now drawing near to the center of Mount of Olives. The whole, the whole multitude of the mother's disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for mighty works they had seen. They had seen Lazarus being raised from the dead, and the healing of uh, the blind Bartimaeus. They had seen the miracles. Verse thirty-eight, saying, "Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord." Hosanna, another gospel says, save now, save us now. Quoting Psalms 118 verse 22 to to 26, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone, the Jewish people, the stone is Jesus Christ and the builders are the Jews have become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and marvelous in his eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save us now, I pray, O Lord, they say. Hosanna. Save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have been blessed from the Lord. This is a messianic title. They are really saying, That he's Messiah. But Luke omits the word Hosanna. But with all other three gospels, they use the word Hosanna. The word means to save us now. Save us now. Save us from the Roman oppression. The crowd shouted, save us now. blessed!" But that same crowd a few weeks later was saying, crucify him. The same people, crucify him. Verse 39, and some of the Pharisees called to the cross, said, teacher, rebuke your disciples, rebuke them. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if they should keep silent, the stone was immediately cry out. I kind of wish this, They had kept silent so the stones could cry out. I would have liked to have seen that. That is the same thing the enemy is telling us today. He's saying. Keep silent. That's what he's telling the church today. Keep silent. He said rebuke them disciples man. Jesus said if they were to be quiet the stone would cry out. We all ought to be crying out to that gospel right now man. That is why we here. We're not just here twirling our thumbs. or no, we shouldn't be. But that's what the devil is telling the church. Keep silent. Satan says tell nobody. Jesus says tell everybody the good news of the gospel. And I'll tell you what, people need to hear some good news now. Well, moving right along, Jesus here weeps over Jerusalem. Verse 41. Why would Jesus weep? Well, let's see. Verse 41, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. So Jesus began to weep, and he began to sob as he drew near Jerusalem. Now, he ain't even in the city yet. It's like he just stops in his tracks and has looked in the hearts of the people because of the unbelief. And would not accept him as, Jack, as Zachariah 9, nine had promised and prophesied. He saw the unbelief and the hardness of heart. And he knew that they would not accept him. He stops in his, car, in his tracks and he starts weeping. I bet he still weeps today for unbelief. He's never honored unbelief. Never. Ever. He's always honored faith. How was your faith this morning? Peter's saying he want to sift you at sweet, but I pray that your faith don't fail. And I'm praying that your faith don't fail. Don't put your faith in man, put your faith in the Lord. He's beginning to sob because he saw the unbelief, the hardness of heart. And he knew that the consequences of that, that the whole city was going to be destroyed. Jesus knew the price that they were going to pay for rejecting their Messiah. He is holding the Jews accountable. I believe that Jesus even weeps today when anyone rejects Jesus. There's a lot of people reject Jesus. Jesus has caused a lot of problems over the years. I talk to folks all the time. Say, "Oh, I believe in God, but you mention the name of Jesus. Oh, my goodness." Well, you can't have one without having the other. I believe that Jesus still weeps today over unbelief. Jesus knew the consequences of their unbelief. And he said in verse 42, saying, if you had only known. Even you talking to the Jewish people, even y'all. If you had only known, even you, especially in this, your day. He said, this is your day. The things that made for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He's quoting Zechariah 9 again. He's saying that they were spiritually blind. Verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side. And that happened. This is a this is precisely the method used by Titus when he sieged. Jerusalem in A.D. 70, he'd surrounded the city, cutting off all food supply, cutting off all the water and thousands of people perished. That's how the enemy would take a city. They would deal a trench around the city. They would cut off all food supply where no food would be brought in and no water would be brought in. And they will just wait. They'll wait and they will wait until you run out of food and until you run out of water. And most times people will surrender. The Romans built an embankment, a barricade, of stone, making it impossible. They couldn't escape. So they would starve their inhabitants from the inside. He said, they're going to level you, your children within you to the ground and they will not leave you. In you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. They missed it. The Messiah came in there, brought on daylight, fulfilling scripture, and they missed it. That's why Jesus wept. He looked into the nation Israel's heart. He said they wasted the opportunity. They were ignorant of the time of his visitation. He visited them. He looked within. He saw spiritual ignorance. He saw blindness and the hardness of heart. They should have known who he was. For God had given them his word and had sent prophets. And if anyone should have known who he was, it should have been Israel. This is why I hate religion. I hate it. I'm going to tell you the truth. I hate religion because religion has damned a lot of people. I'm not religious. I'm a Christian. I'm born again believer, not a religious person. I don't like religion because religion blinds people. It blinds people of the truth. These Jewish folks and a lot of people are so sincere. They're religious and blind. A lot of people are so sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. And there will be a lot of religious people. There will be a lot of sincere people in hell. Because Jesus said, man, your religions can't save you. Your denomination can't save you. Your church can't save you. Your pastor can't save you. Jesus says, I'm no way. I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no man can come to the Father except through me. You try to go some other way, you're not going to make it. He's told you. I'm not a religious person. Religion can't save you. Christianity is a relationship with Christ. Religion focuses on the external. The external. And it will deaden you. It will deaden you to spiritual perception. It will deaden you. The Bible said there's a way, Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seemed right to a man. But the end of the way is the way of death. There's a lot of ways out there that seemed right. It didn't say it was right, but it seems right. Because Satan is a perfect imitator and a perfect counterfeiter. That's why the Bible said we ought to test all things to hold fast what is good. We ought to test the spirits and deceive that be of Christ because there are many false prophets have gone out into the world. So unless you know the scripture, man, you can be deceived. Jesus looked ahead, he wept, he saw the terrible judgment that would be coming on the nation, the city, and the temple. In A.D. 70, the Romans would come and after a siege of 144 144 days would kill 600,000 Jews. Taking thousands captive, destroying the temple and the city. Why did all this happen? Because the people did not know that God had visited them and brought them salvation. He came unto his own and his own received him not. He came to bring peace, but the people rejected him. They wasted their opportunity. Everyone, everyone will have an opportunity to receive Christ. Everyone. Everyone. They wasted their opportunity. The problem is, and the question is, will you waste yours? Don't waste your opportunity because it might be the last opportunity that you have. Because the Bible says, today is the day of salvation. When you hear his word, the Bible says, harden not your heart. Because today is the day. You're not promised tomorrow. No one here is from us tomorrow. Nobody. Here yeah, he was despised and rejected, Isaiah said, 53. So Jesus begins to weep. He had sent prophets. He had sent. They knew the scripture, but they didn't know, they didn't know the Christ of the Scripture. When I was going to church back in Tennessee in Memphis, we had to recite Scripture. I, I wasn't born again, but I could recite it. I wasn't saved. But I could recite it. The Apostle Creed, you know, we had to recite that every Sunday. and Then we had to recite scripture every Sunday. If Jesus is weeping, it's just breaking his heart how you could have had salvation. You could have had it and you missed it. The Bible says Jesus is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophet and stone those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you, your children together as a hen, gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were you were not willing. You got to be willing to come to Christ. You got to be willing to give your heart. He's not going to force himself on anybody. You see, now he said your house is left desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They should have known Because it was prophesied. When Jesus borrowed the coat, perhaps some in the crowd hoped that the world would be the time when he would declare political intentions. They wanted him to be a political leader. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. It was a conflict with political authorities. They wanted Jesus to be a political leader. It was a conflict. The kingdom, his kingdom was not of this world. It was not not a conflict with political authorities, but a religious authorities Well, both of them. His mission was not to provide a political liberation, but spiritual liberation. And he was rejected. The son of man came to seek and say that which was lost. The apostles also believed the earthly form of religion. They thought that Jesus would, would establish an earthly form, a political Power. They were so involved in that. Acts, Acts chapter one saying, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they heard When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore Israel? He said, wait, Lord, let me stop you. Are you going to restore Israel from the oppression? He didn't come to do that. Jesus didn't do what they thought he would do. And they rejected him. I kind of found it kind of interesting in my life that Jesus... Don't do what I think he's going to do many times. It doesn't mean that he's not in control. Life has a way of throwing curveballs. I have plus, I have things pretty much figured out. I have a plan pretty much most of the time. But sometimes things come in my life that is t- totally unexpected. The Lord said, "Now you going to trust me now, really?" Blind to the truth, Israel's rejection. Paul said in Romans 9, I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse for Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises. Paul said in Romans 10, he said, brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel that they may be saved. A lot of people thought they were from Israel. They were saved. Not all of them. Some were, some wasn't. Even today, some are, some not. I've still, I've talked to Jewish people myself. Some believe the Messiah, some don't. Hey. Paul said they have a zeal of God. Zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they are ignorant of God's righteousness, Paul said, and seeking to establish their own righteousness. Have not submit, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Today is a day for you. You might be here today for the first time. And maybe you have never put your faith in Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Now's your day. Don't be like Israel missed his day of visitation, they missed it. It's like the man in Luke 12 he said, You know, I. I'll just build. I'll just build me bigger barns, man, and I'll just store up my crops and my goods. And he said, I'll just live, I'll just eat, drink, and I'll just be merry. But God said to him, Fool! The night, this night, your soul will be required of you. Then who will those things be, which you have provided? The guy had so much stuff. God had blessed him so bad. He he didn't realize the blessing was coming from God. He said, I'm just going to build bigger bonds and store up all this stuff. I'm just going to eat, man. I'm going to drink and be merry. God said, you are a fool because tonight your soul is going to be required of you. You never know. You just never know. The rich young ruler missed it. He missed it. He missed it. Good teacher, what can I do to inherit inherit eternal life? Honor your father, and your mother, love your neighbor and all that Jesus told him. He said, oh, man, I've done all these things from my youth. I've done all that stuff. I don't believe he did. I think he's lying. But anyway. He said, there's one thing you like. Go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And come follow me. The guy says, "Uh uh-uh. The rich young ruler said, because the Bible said he went away sad because he had many riches. Now, did Jesus want his riches? No. Jesus does not want your money. Did you know that? God's work is going to go on with you or without. If you don't give, somebody else will. Now you should be given. Because you stored up treasures in heaven. And you are helping people get saved. And we send money all over to help folks get saved. And people are coming to Christ because of your donations in this little church right here. Did you know that? And you're going to get rewarded in heaven. But there are some people say, oh, I'm not going to. Give any money because all these people want is my money. No, we don't. You're you blessing yourself. You're helping yourself to give. We're doing just fine, okay? We're not begging you. We don't even take up an offering. And if you don't give with a cheerful heart, then don't give because God said he loves a cheerful giver. Am I right about it? You're not hurting me if you don't. You're only hurting yourself. But we can do more ministry... If we had more finances. You just had those people last week down there, that tornado, kill all them people down there. Lost all their house. We should be sending money to them people. Lost all their home. And we probably will. So, anyway, don't let possessions stand in the way of you in Christ. Everything that you have you are going to have to leave it. You're not going to take anything with you. And the time is running out. So we got to, we got to be really organized in our life and, and, and weigh what is really important. What is going to have eternal value? What is going to have eternal Are you storing up treasures in heaven or are you storing up treasures on earth? That is the focus. The, the people that love Jesus Christ and have surrendered their life to him have also surrendered their finances to him too. You know that people that love Jesus Christ will do anything the Lord say. The Bible says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a." Christ, you're not your own. We can't tell. Don't be like me. I try to tell God what to do. I'm glad he don't listen. Don't try to tell him what to do. He know what he's doing. You surrender your life and you follow him. He's not supposed to follow us. We're supposed to follow him. And if you do that, I tell you what, you will have peace in your life. You will have joy in your life. You will have joy unspeakable. You will see life at a totally different angle if you follow Christ and surrender your heart to Him. Well, the bottom line is not just close with this the triumphant entry, Jesus presented Himself. Why is the world, even today, it hasn't changed, has it? Jesus is still want people to come, but people are saying, no, I will not. If you will come to Christ, I guarantee you, you won't regret it. I guarantee that. I guarantee you, you have that, that emptiness in your heart that you've been searching for, maybe through drugs, through alcohol or whatever it is, it will be filled. And if you will give your heart to him. He has promised to never refuse anyone. He says, all the Father has given me has come to me. And he that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. He's never turned down anybody. But you have have to be willing to come. So we're going to pray. And if you want Christ, I want you just to raise your hand. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we are able to come today. Father, we ask that if there's anyone here that does not know you as their personal Savior, that they would invite you into their heart right now. Is there anyone here before we close? He loves you so much. He says he went to prepare a place for you. And he said he will come again. And you can look around you and you can see Everything's out of control, and he's coming again. But if you want to come, he, he's waiting for you. Anyone here, if you want Christ, just raise your hand. We'll pray, we'll pray with you. Father, we're so thankful that we are believers. We are thankful, Lord, that we have eternal life through your name. We cannot save ourselves, but we know that you can. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.